for Abel. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 3. Remain standing for the reading of God's Word if you're able. We're going to be considering verses 7 through 19, but we'll read uh, the whole chapter for us this morning. So this is the Word of our Lord, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, it was I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with him, with whom all was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you'd meet with us through your word. Open our hearts, open our eyes, our ears to hear wonderful things concerning you from this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody you love very much is considering making a decision that can potentially ruin his or her life? Has that ever been faced with that situation? And what do you do in a situation like that? Well, I think naturally you plead and beg and try to convince the loved one not to go in the way that he or she is considering going. You would take whatever opportunity the Lord provided to help this person make the right decision. And that is what this pastor who wrote Hebrews the whole letter is a, actually a sermon written to the church um, 
whatever this church was, since we don't know where the church was. And this pastor is writing this letter begging them to not abandon Christ. They're, they're, they're flirting with this decision to abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things are a little tough. They think that they can follow God faithfully apart from Christ. They want to go back to how things were prior to the coming of Christ, when they were just plain old Jews. And they think that they can be faithful to God and do that at the same time. And this pastor is pleading with them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews for them not to do that. These people who he loved deeply are thinking about ruining their lives. And he doesn't want them to do that. So he sets out to show to them that there's nothing better than Christ. And throughout the epistle to the Hebrews, that's the theme. The Christ is better than anything else they could find outside of Christ. We're going to consider verses 7 through 19 this morning. But in the first six verses of this chapter, the Holy Spirit urges this congregation in, 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 in the first century and through them us to consider Jesus because they have been set apart and called for this very purpose to be following Jesus. He exhorts them to consider Jesus because he is the apostle and high priest of their confession. If it wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit encourages them to consider Jesus because he's better than Moses. Now, uh, the average Jew would consider Moses one of the greatest people on earth, perhaps only second to Abraham. And Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit says, no, Jesus is greater than Moses. And yet, the end, the plea that the Holy Spirit is bringing before this church in the first century and through them us, boils down to this. Consider Jesus, because if you don't, you are doomed. Consider Jesus, because if you don't consider Him, if you don't remain faithful to Him, you are doomed. Now, his massive appeal to consider Jesus continues as he develops that last point. Without Jesus, you are doomed. And that is really the connection between our passage and what came before. If you notice there at the beginning of verse 7, we have the word, therefore, connecting with what went before. And he urges them and us to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to those who rebel against their God and against their profession of faith in Christ. And he does that by quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. is one of the longest continuous quotations in the New Testament of a passage. Actually, the two longest continuous quotations of the Old Testament are both in the book of Hebrews. The longest one is in chapter 8, where... The Holy Spirit quotes Jeremiah chapter 31. And the second one is here in our chapter as he quotes Psalm 95. Now, as we read Psalm 95 for our, for our responsive reading, it is obvious that Psalm 95 is referencing the rebellion of Israel during the 40 years of uh, wilderness wanderings there. But how can the Holy Spirit say that this is about these first century Christians and by representation about us. How can Psalm 95 be the basis for our here on the 21st century consideration of Jesus? How can something that's about the wilderness wanderings help us today 
to consider Jesus. This way, the entire history of redemption was written as the history of each member of the church of Jesus Christ. Everything that's the Bible in the Bible is our history, even individually. When we read the Bible, we're not reading about somebody else's story. We're reading about our story. When we're reading about Abraham, we're not reading about somebody else's um, ancestor. We're reading about our ancestor, my ancestor. When you read the narratives of the Old and New Testaments, we are reading things that pertain to us, that belong to us. This is our history, because if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed according to the promise. This is our history. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He says, now all these things happen to them, talking about the wilderness wanderings, as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In Romans 15, verse 4, Paul says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience of and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So what we read, the stories and the narratives, the historical accounts we read in this book, it's not just somebody else's history. It is your history. It's my history. The church collectively and you as a believer individually as well. And this is why Paul can say in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all Scripture are inspired and are profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction, for instruction, because it's our Scriptures. It is our history applied to us by the Spirit. So why is it, how is it that the Holy Spirit can say, you, 21st century people in Olympia, follow what Psalm 90, learn from Psalm 95, follow what it teaches, be warned by it, because Psalm 95 is also part of our history. But there's more than that. There's not the only reason why the Holy Spirit can bring up a passage such as Psalm 95 about the Exodus and about the wanderings and apply it to, the, to Christians in the first century and all subsequent centuries. The second reason why this passage is pertinent to us is that in Christ, we are part of a new exodus. Did you know that it's not as clear in the English, but the death of Christ is called an exodus? It's called the beginning of a new exodus in, in Luke 9, verse 30 and 31. This is the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus and to John, Peter, and James. And Luke tells us this, And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease. The word decease there is just a word for exodus. They spoke about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. There's a new exodus that's going to happen through the cross of Jesus Christ that was about to happen in Jerusalem. And Paul picks up on that and he calls Christ the true Passover sacrifice for his people. Now, that's the theme of the, the Gospel of John. Jesus as what? Remember what's the first thing that, that John the Baptist tells about Jesus? Behold what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Christ is our Passover will sacrifice for us. First Peter 1, 18 uh, and 19 says that 
Christ saved us with the precious, the God saved us with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, which was the qualifications for the Passover sacrifice. We are part of this exodus through the cross of Jesus Christ. Turn for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians 10, which is, keep your finger there in Hebrews 3, because 1 Corinthians 10 is a parallel passage to Hebrews chapter 3. And in, in 1 Corinthians 10, we see that our baptism into Christ is a fulfillment of their baptism into Moses as they cross the Red Sea. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers who were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. So our baptism into Christ is fulfillment of that baptism in which they were baptized into Moses as they started their exodus. Our feeding on Christ by faith in the Lord's table is the fulfillment of Israel's nourishment with manna and water from the rock. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 10. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all uh, drank the same spiritual drink, for, their drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Even the heavenly rest that waits for us is a fulfillment of their earthly rest in Cana. Look at verses 6 through 12 of chapter 10. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should do not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as there were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down and to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual morality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all this, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's, doing, he's equating our life now and this post-cross life, post-salvation life that we live as those wandering ears of our brethren in Israel. And he says, they failed. They did all these things. Don't do that in your wandering ears on this earth. So the ears on this side of heaven, for us, they are our wandering ears. We have ex- ex- exited. We have exits. How can we make exodus into a verb? We have exodusted. This life, exodized, they were like, well, thank you, Joel. I knew there was a reason for you being here today. We have exodized this life through the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been promised a better life. We've been promised eternal life in Jesus Christ that is to come. So these are our wandering ears. In the big picture of God's redemption of His people, the events and stories of the exodus And the wilderness wanderings are the events and the story of our wanderings, of our exodus in Christ. And that is why the Apostle Peter can refer to us as pilgrims and sojourners, which is the very same language that is used in the Old Testament to refer to Israel in the wilderness. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which were war against the soul. 
we tend to see the word fleshly lust and we think of sexual lust, but that's not what this means. It's all kinds of desires that goes against our journey to heaven. We, the, the, what Peter is saying here, that you are in the desert. This life is the desert. Do you get that? This life is the desert. And as we go through it, we tend to be attached to the cacti that you find in the desert. You tend to think, oh, this gecko is the best thing for me ever. Or whatever this oasis can provide in this, that's, it says, no, you're pilgrims, you're sojourners, you're going somewhere. That's why you live in tents, as it were. Remember the, un, the, the, the unresurrected body, this body is called a tent, as opposed to the final glorified body. You live in tents as you go through this journey. So anything that you can get attached to are just the things that you find in the wilderness, in the desert, in the place that's not your final destiny. So let those things go because you have something better as you get to the end. Isn't that what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 as we go through this soul journey? Don't get attached to sin. But then he says also other things that are... Stumping blocks, right? We are to, to, divert, to divest ourselves not only of sin, but also things that may not be sinful that are keeping us in our journey. Uh, when you go to camp, is, you, know, you, you can tell the luggage of a boy and the, from the luggage of a girl. The, the luggage. It's, no. The luggage of a boy is like this much, one t-shirt and maybe a pair of clean underwear. And that's it. <laughs> And then the girls is like, do you know it's just a week, right? Because they're, well, we are called to pack like a boy, as it were, going to camp. We don't, we don't bring a lot of stuff with us. We're just journeying, maybe a long journey, but we're just journeying through this wilderness. Also, that helps us to see the discouragements of this life as, well, this is a desert place. We don't find fulfillment in the desert. Uh, that's why in the psalmist, you know how many times the psalmist says, I feel like I'm in the desert place, longing for the worship of the Lord and so on, because this life is a desert place. And yet we tend to get so attached to the things of this life when we're going forward. So because we are in this wilderness journey, the Holy Spirit can apply Psalm 95 to us today. Now, it's good for us when the New Testament quotes an Old Testament passage and quotes only a portion of it. It's good for us to figure out what the whole thing says. Often the author of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to bring to our attention not just the portion he quoted, but the entire passage. If you have a bulletin, just turn to the back of it and see the response of reading there. And you can see that Psalm 95 is clearly divided into two parts. A happy part and a not-so-happy part. Verses 1 through 7 is a call to worship, and it's a glorious call to worship. But then, starting halfway through verse 7 to the end of the psalm, is a warning. A warning against disobeying God in the context of worship. Using the events of the wilderness wanderings as evidence that God is serious about what He is saying. And that is this last portion that the Holy Spirit quotes in Hebrews chapter 3. And in the context of Psalm 95, the worship of God is good and acceptable, but only 
if it is offered from a sincere, sincere and obedient heart. So the Holy Spirit applies this concept to those who think they can leave Christ behind and still be okay with God. The Hebrews congregation thought, you know what, we still can worship God sincerely. We still can obey God if we just leave this Christ and Jesus thing behind. Let's just go back to what we were before Christ, and we still can faithfully follow God. And Psalm 95 says, no, you can't. The only way to come before God is for you to do the way He calls you to do it, and He calls you to come before God through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today endeavoring to get to to God apart from Christ, you will. But the, the person, the being you're going to meet at the other end of that journey is the judge that is going to squish you under the weight of His wrath. Not this benevolent old man in heaven. That's Santa Claus. That doesn't exist. Coming to God apart from Jesus Christ is to meet your judge and to be found guilty of everything you've done and having to pay for the penalty of your own sin. That's what the Hebrew church was flirting with doing. And if if that's where you are today, that's what you're flirting to do as well. And at the end of your wilderness years, this life, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You're going to enter into hell forever where you experience the wrath of God. So the Holy Spirit quotes Psalm 95 to get that point across to the congregation. And then he gives four admonitions. And we're not going to look at all four of them this morning, but I wanted to mention them. We're just going to look at one of them as we finish. As we look at verses 7 through 12 of Hebrews chapter 3, the Holy Spirit says, consider Jesus about four things. He says, listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit in order to avoid hardening your heart. And that's what we're going to take a look at in just a minute. But in verses 13 and 14, he also says, listen to the Spirit in order to exhort the brethren. So the Holy Spirit is saying, listen to me because, with, because you need to receive the words that I'm giving to you and exhort one another which tells us that we need each other in order to get to the end of the wilderness wandering. We can't get there by ourselves. And then he says, listen to the Spirit as long as it is today, in verses 14 and 15. Have you ever considered going on a diet? As I consider that every day, but it doesn't materialize often. But when we think about diet, what do we usually think, okay, I'm going to start it on Monday, right? Or I'll start it tomorrow, or whatever, right? We always, and yet, the Holy Spirit says here in verses 14 and 15 that obedience, listening to Him, starts in this immediate moment. Today, you listen to the Lord. Today, not tomorrow, not later today, not at lunch, but right now, at this moment, you listen to the Spirit of God and what He's telling you. And what the Spirit is telling you is come to Jesus, who is the Savior of mankind. Don't wait to make that decision later. Make it right now to believe in Jesus Christ. Make a commitment right now, if you're a believer, to obey Him in all the areas that you know you need to obey Him. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait to start Monday. Don't wait to start till you've had the next meal right now. Don't wait for some special call to come up here. Right now, listen to the Spirit. Declare your allegiances. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ or a follower of yourself? That's the only two allegiances that are there. 
And it says, listen to the Spirit in order to flee God's wrath in verses 16 through 19. Listen to the Spirit in order to flee God's wrath. For, to, for, for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to briefly consider the idea that we are to listen to the Spirit in order to avoid hardening our hearts, which is what we find in verses 7 through 12. Let me give you a definition of hardening the heart. To harden uh, the heart is to disobey the voice of God and act in accordance with one's own desires. To harden your heart is to disobey the voice of God and act in accordance with one's own desires. And the more you do that, the easier it gets. Uh, Paul talks about in terms of a seared conscience. The more you don't listen to the voice of God, the more you act according to your own desires, the more you will do that. And the easier it gets and the less you're going to hear the voice of God in your life through the scriptures and the preaching of the scriptures. By the way, this definition is not mine. It's uh, is, uh, Leon Morris, who is a commentator on the book of Hebrews that defined it that way. And these verses in Psalm 95 refer to these two events in the wilderness wandering years. Are they coming for us? No. Uh, it, it, these verses 7 through the end of, of chapter of Psalm 95 refer to two particular events in the wilderness years, one in the beginning and one at the end. Just a few weeks or months after witnessing the mighty deliverance of God, the people of God started complaining. Can you believe that? People in church complaining? That's, we don't do that anymore. These are Old Testament believers. Right? We don't do that anymore. But just a few, uh, it could be as, 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 as little as just three weeks after crossing the Red Sea. Just, a, just three weeks after seeing all those plagues happening in, in Egypt. Seeing the amazing deliverance. And they are complaining. And they are complaining that God has failed them. In Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, we have there, oh, we wish you could go back to Egypt. Things are so much better there. God is abandoning us. We don't have what to eat. We don't have what to drink. I wish we could have some onions and leeks from Egypt, which I wonder why they chose those two vegetables, but those are the vegetables they missed from uh, Egypt. And they complain that the, the Lord provides for them. So that's the beginning. That's how they set out in this journey. After having witnessed this miraculous deliverance by God, they decide that they need to complain to murmur, to grumble against God. And then as they're about to cross in the promised land, in Numbers chapter 20, we have that again. They're complaining about the same things that they were, they were complaining in the beginning of their journey. And what Psalm 95 is doing, by referring to these two events, in the beginning, at the end of the wandering years, the Holy Spirit tells us that they are representative of all their years in the wilderness. That their journey through the wilderness was marked by grumbling and complaining against God. And the point is, don't do that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't let your mark, your life be marked by grumbling and complaining against God. Do you realize that all grumbling and complaining and murmuring is against God because He's a sovereign one over all things? That's where providence comes into, the idea of, that God is in control and governing all things. So how is your, is your life marked by grumbling and complaining? 
Are you always shaking your fist about God? Maybe perhaps not even realizing. But complaining about your life. Complaining about how things are going. Complaining about what people are doing to you. Complaining about everything. That's how Israel was in the wilderness. And that's the, the, the pattern for us not to be. What's the opposite of a grumbling and complaining? Giving thanks. And as we saw Wednesday night, contentment. You're called to be content in this life as you go to the life to, to come. So how does it fit with the argument of the book of Hebrews that we are to have persevering faith, this idea of complaining and grumbling? Well, the people of Israel had chosen to identify themselves with God and His representative Moses by participating in the cross, the, cross of the, the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember, 1 Corinthians 10 calls it their baptism into Moses. They're identified with the cause that's going on. They're identified with the Exodus. They had been delivered from bondage in Egypt and were on the way to their rest in the land full of God's blessings. But every time something didn't go the way they wanted to go or some adversity came their way, they would forget all that the Lord had done for them and they would desire to go back to Egypt. Every time... They stubbed their toe, seemed like, and they wanted to go back to Egypt because somehow life was too hard. Somehow they deserved something else. What God had for them wasn't good enough for them. And we find the same situation in the book of Hebrews. These people had longing eyes for the things they had before Christ. And they were willing to forget the things they had in Christ in order to avoid the inconveniences of being a Christian. And they were looking back to Egypt. They were looking back to where they had come from instead of looking to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of their faith. And that's why there's such a strong warning in chapter 6 about having tasted all these things. If you go back to what, was it, what, to what it was, you no longer have hope in Christ. That's the hardening of the heart. And what was the result of the hardening of the heart of the people in the wilderness? Well, verses 16 through 19 of, verse, of chapter 3 tells us there was death in the wilderness. Do you remember the counting of the people as they leave in uh, Egypt? We have a record of the counting. They counted everybody 20 years or older, all male, 20 years or older. And they end up with 603,550 men, 20 years and older. Let's say that there was an, 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 the same number of women the same age, 20 years or older. So it tells us that the population of, of the Israel, when they left Egypt, going into the wilderness, was 1,207,100 people 20 years or older. Why I bring that up? Because the Bible tells us that because of their grumbling and complaining, because they wanted to go back to Egypt instead of forward towards God, Every last one of them died. Every last one of them died. You divide that number by, nine, by, the, by the number of years in the wilderness. If you come up with 90 deaths a day, reminding them that they were hardening their hearts, and that today was a day of, of repentance. In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us that the wilderness was strewn with bodies. That's the language used. That they could trace their journey by the graves of the people who died in 40 years, 1,200,000 and change people died. 
they started well, but they did not have persevering faith to enter into the rest. People of God, we are in our wilderness wanderings right now. That's what this life is. We have been freed from the bondage of sin on the cross of Jesus Christ. We have been identified with Christ in our baptism. And now we are sojourning toward our rest. Let me ask this. How is our heart in this journey? Is it softened by the grace of God that shows itself in obedience? Or are we murmuring and complaining against God as the Israelites did throughout their entire wilderness wandering? Are you looking forward to that rest so much that the wilderness wandering called life is just a preface to it? Are you looking to the life to come so much that this is the best thing this can happen that offer us is nothing compared to what's coming? Or is this life all you care about and would prefer going back to the Egypt of your unbelief instead of serving Christ? Is your hope now, is this what you want to be your best life? Are you seeking to return to Egypt? The Spirit says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The Church of Jesus Christ, listen to what the Spirit says, and consider Jesus in your wilderness wanderings. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us in your word. We pray that you give us persevering faith to arrive at the end of our journey, our wilderness wandering in this life, and fall in the arms of Jesus. We thank you that he is our, the author and the finisher of our faith. Enable us to keep our eyes upon him as we go from end to end in this life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.